Greetings. <clears throat> the enemy uh, tried to keep me out of the pulpit this week. About Tuesday, I started feeling pretty sick. Started losing my voice on Wednesday. Uh, took a day off of work in there. Uh, broke part of a tooth off. After that happened, I just started laughing. Um, and then on Saturday morning, I uh, received a lifeline, a prayer warrior here, texted and said, I'm praying for you, and uh, indicated that I wasn't feeling too well in my voice. And later in the day, I saw another text with multiple people on it who also were praying. And so um, here I am, and I, I almost was sure, I was confident I was going to wake up today with a miracle that my voice was gonna be just fine. And um, it's not, but uh, maybe the miracle will come later. I don't wanna be overly dramatic, but I feel a little bit like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, Lord, who said, our God can rescue us. In this case, my God can heal me. But if he doesn't, I want you to know, O king, I will not bow because I think there's something God wants us to hear today. So, um, just to make you aware of that, I'm gonna skate pretty quickly after the service, so nobody catches anything that I had. May the Holy Spirit anoint the words that I speak to pierce our hearts and convict where we need conviction and heal where we need healing. Our uh, scripture today is from Mark 1, verses 1 to 8. Mark 1, verses 1 to 8. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river, Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore the leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of his sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mark was not one of the disciples, but we know he was definitely part of the early followers. His name appears in Acts as John Mark. Some scholars also think he may have been the young man who fled the scene in the Garden Gethsemane, Gethsemane uh, without his cloak. It says he fled naked, as described in Mark chapter 14. Scholars also believe that Peter is the prime eyewitness, eyewitness source for Mark's writing. Mark is also the earliest gospel written. The purpose of this gospel is described in the first verse. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Christ means Messiah. The declaration from the beginning of this book is the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God. He announces triumphantly that Jesus is divine. He doesn't include the birth accounts, nor any Jewish lineage. 
The book jumps from event to event. The Mark Gospel is Jesus doing ministry. It moves fast, using the word immediately 41 times. Though the word doesn't always mean just then, it feels like there's a series of events that are just happening. Mark is the shortest book and the most translated of all the Gospels. We can be assured that Mark wants us, the readers, to understand and believe that Jesus is Lord. Verses 2 and 3 are meant to describe and give authority to John, John the Baptist. Mark uses Old Testament prophecy to show us that John fulfills the prophecy. Verses 2 and 3 combine two prophecies written 300, words, 300 years apart. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, was written by Malachi, some 400 years before Mark wrote this verse. 300 years earlier than Malachi, Isaiah wrote, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John fulfills this prophecy in verse 7 when he says, after me comes he who is mightier than I. Verse 4 says he appeared in the wilderness. In the Old Testament, God often met his prophets in the wilderness. Three examples are Jacob wrestled with God in the wilderness. Moses met the I am at the burning bush in the wilderness. And Elijah is taken care of by God in the wilderness. John living in the wilderness is another example to show us that God was with him like the earlier prophets. Speaking of Elijah... How is he described in the Bible? Second Kings says Elijah wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. John is described in verse 6 as clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. These descriptions authenticate John was a prophet and what he had to say was from God. Furthermore, the connection with Elijah is not a coincidence. Jews read Malachi, and Malachi 4, 5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. They interpreted that to mean before the Messiah was to come, Elijah was supposed to return. Matthew 17 tells us of the transfiguration where Elijah did appear with Moses. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come. He will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Jesus explained that Malachi was pointing to John as well. David Grzyk writes, according to Luke 1, 17, Elijah had arrived in the work of John the Baptist, who ministered in Elijah's power and spirit. This is evident from a comparison of the life of both Elijah and John the Baptist. Elijah was noted as being full of zeal for God, so was John the Baptist. Elijah boldly rebuked sin in high places. So did John the Baptist. Elijah called sinners and compromisers to a decision of repentance. So did John the Baptist. Elijah attracted multitudes in his ministry. So did John the Baptist. 
Elijah attracted the attention and fury of a king and his wife. So did John the Baptist. Elijah was an austere man. There are many different meanings of that. I saw stern, but maybe it's straightforward. So was John the Baptist. Elijah fled to the wilderness. John the Baptist also lived there. Elijah lived in a corrupt time and was used to restore failing spiritual health, spiritual life. So it was true of John the Baptist. Verse 4 and 5 tells us that John was preaching repentance and baptizing people. Jews had ceremonial cleansing, but that was not immersion as John was doing. The only people who were supposed to be baptized in this way were Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. John was telling the Jews that they were just as far away from God as the heathen Gentiles, and they must repent and confess their sins. In verse 7 and 8, John declares that he's preparing the way for the one who is to come. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When John preached this, he wasn't just guessing that the Messiah would someday soon come. He knew he was already here. In the Gospel of John's version, the baptizer says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was Jesus' cousin. Certainly his mother Elizabeth told him about the virgin birth, the angels telling of his arrival, and the other stories Mary told them. In fact, didn't John recognize him in the womb when Mary came to visit? Jesus and John probably were very familiar with each other. So it's very likely when he preached in the wilderness, he knew that Jesus would soon be arriving to fulfill his mission. Even so, John did have his doubts when he was in prison and asked whether Jesus was the Messiah. He probably didn't fully understand Jesus' mission much the same way as disciples didn't fully understand. They, They, including John, likely expected Jesus to begin the new kingdom and defeat Rome and set up the kingdom on earth. So it should give relief to, uh, to recognize that even John had doubts at times. If you've had doubts, you aren't alone. Thomas doubted, John doubted. Actually, a health, healthy dose of doubt drives us to answer those doubts by seeking the truth. And then our faith is made stronger when we are convinced that our doubts are answered. John's ministry was to prepare the people for Jesus' coming. That message was given in several different ways. In Luke, John has harsh words for the religious leaders and Pharisees calling them a brood of vipers. Who told you to flee from the coming wrath? In Matthew, in Matthew John says, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. So what does this mean for us? God meets us in the wilderness. I'm certain that all of us have been in the wilderness one time or another. It's not a pleasant place. And since you are still sitting in this room, you likely have a story of how God met you in the wilderness and proved he is with you. If you are in the wilderness right now, take heart, your Savior is near. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciousness, but shouts in our pains. 
second point. Several weeks ago, Pastor Wes preached on repentance and confession, just as John preached confession and repentance. I'm not, to, I'm not going to duplicate that sermon, but I do want us to think about how often we really confess and repent. How often in our Sunday schools do we confess our sins? We sometimes share our pains, but where does confession take place? We definitely need to confess to God, but until we take our sins out of the closet and expose them to the light, those sins will still have power over us. We need to confess so we have people to be accountable to. Until we do that, we aren't really serious about ridding our lives of sin that entangles us. That might feel like a smack in the face. It's difficult to admit a shameful deed or behavior. What will people think of me? I've confessed a few times publicly about how as a younger man I struggled with pornography. And to this day, there are still moments that I'm still tempted, but not very, it's not very powerful anymore because uh, what I'll tell you about in a second. The times I publicly confessed that, not one of you came to me and go, what is wrong with you? I had people come to me and go, thank you. Thank you. It's difficult to confess to someone, especially someone you love, who you know you've hurt. That's the hardest part. That's the hardest thing you have to do. And when I had to confess to my wife the first time, I had to, you know, I had to confess and say, man, I hurt you. And it's not a good feeling. But what I did is took that sin out of the closet and put it into the light. Jesus is in the light. Satan operates in the darkness. And we can keep confessing to God and God and God, but there's still going to be power over us until we bring it out into the light. And that's why John was preaching repentance as well and confession. And that's why I'm saying this today as well. It's time for us to get serious. Sin keeps us from the holiness which God requires in obedience. Of course, we can't make ourselves sinless or holy enough for God. Only through Jesus' blood can we be made right with God. But God does want us to pursue holiness because that's where life is good. Sin brings us immediate pleasure, and there are long-term consequences. And I'm going to go back to that pornography, young people, old people alike. The immediate pleasure is going to lead you to a dark place. It's going to lead you to a place of bondage. Just take your steps now before it gets to that place. Now, it could be that, but it could be anything. It could be the gossip. It could be the hurt that I've caused by saying harsh words. There could be all kinds of sins in our life. And those need to be confessed. Because when we confess those and we, and we take them to the cross, then we can be free of the bondage, and that's where life is good. Obedience and God's grace brings us wholeness, goodness, and holiness. If we get serious about revitalization, I envision that to mean we are going to go on the offensive and invite seekers and other lost people into our midst. They don't need to see a bunch of people who have it all together. They need to see a group of believers who are real and authentic. They need to see that we have struggles too that we struggle with sin, 
We need to show them that confession and repentance leads to a better life. That faith in Christ Jesus brings hope in the midst of a very dark world. Recently, I heard a story of a family that was it's filled with divorce and drug abuse and marital affairs, and nobody has any faith in Christ. And I just think about how much pain these people go through and what life must be like. These are the people who need us to go on the offensive and reach into their lives and bring them here to join a new family. Not a perfect family, but one that seeks God and has joy and peace in the midst of struggles. One that sings joyously and laughs heartily. That shares a cup of coffee and provides a listening ear. It's not going to be easy. It's much easier just to come to church on Sunday, uh, be part of some church program that sustains the body. We need those things. We need programs that sustain the body. But we need to make ourselves uncomfortable and make disciples of all nations and peoples. My neighbors may be some of these people. My work colleagues may be some of these people. It will get messy. Do we have teams ready to meet the challenge that will come with messiness? I hope we have people in the church with a vision for how we can be prepared to make the changes necessary to preach repentance for the kingdom of God is near. Which leads us to the last application. Prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. John preached differently to different people. There may be some people who need to hear repent or go to hell. You might, they might need to see a vehicle driven around with those words on it. They might need to stand around with signs uh, that say, uh, signs at different kinds of events, but probably a lot of people will turn because of that. There's no relationship there, and most people will just ignore that or call you a nut job or uh, call you mean or whatever else. John used the word brood of viper and harsh words for the religious people who thought they were following God but were far from him. Maybe we will need to preach repentance to the pastors and congregations that have, batted, that have abandoned God's word to align their beliefs with what the world wants, preaching what itchy ears want to hear, wanting the world to like them, all in the name of love. All the many times I should have spoken up for truth, but I keep my mouth shut because I don't want conflict or maybe face possible consequences for not following the cultural line. I don't think all of us need to go online or walk the streets, or go to rallies to preach confession or repentance. But we all can call people that we know to repentance, confession. What does this mean? The Lord is near. First of all, <clears throat> the end times described by Jesus and Matthew are becoming more similar to our world every day. Though we can't predict the hour, we are given signs and we're told to prepare our hearts for that day so we won't be surprised. I enjoy studying eschatology, which is just a word for study of the end times. It's just something I enjoy. I like to look at historical events. I like to look at what's going on, how it might fit in with prophecy. But you don't have to study the end times. We do need to be ready for the hour. We'll come like a thief in the night. And we need to keep our lamps burning 
The day of the Lord is near. Secondly, every one of us is one day closer to the day of the Lord. Every day. Not one of us knows the day of the passing from this life into eternity. In Luke 12, in a parable about being generous and not storing up treasures of our own, we can also learn that none of us know the hour of our passing. Verse 19 says, Then I will say to myself, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life required of you. All of us want longevity, but all of us know and have had loved ones pass away unexpectedly. And the same holds true for all humans. So Christ will return, or we will meet him after our last breath, that is assured. And that's every day is closer. Every day we live, that's closer to being true. The Lord is also near because the Holy Spirit Oh, let's, let's also not forget that the kingdom has already arrived in the form of the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts for all who are saved. And it's our mission to call and prepare all people to be faithful followers of Christ. Somewhere I read that any great work of the Lord requires preparation. The uh, sermon title today is Prepared. In the coming months, as we continue revitalization and preparation, may our passion be renewed. May our zeal to reach into the kingdom of darkness and set the captives free and loosen the chains of those in bondage grow. And remember that victory is already ours. For Jesus took our sins upon himself, set us free from bondage, made a mockery of death, by rising again to give us new life and a hope that passes all understanding. Walk victoriously this week and look for the people that you can prepare for the coming of the Lord. Amen. Hi, I'm Corey. I'm the youth pastor here at Yellow Creek Mennonite Church. On behalf of the staff, we want to thank you for joining us today and welcome you back to joining our worship service at Yellow Creek Mennonite Church. We hope that God is and continues to be a strong, encouraging presence in your life. If there are questions, prayer concerns, or a desire to talk with a pastor, we encourage you to contact the church office at 574-862-2595 or email us at info at yellowcreekmc.org. We also encourage you to visit our website at yellowcreekmc.org and stay updated with events through our Facebook page at Yellow Creek Mennonite Church. If you're in the Goshen and Elkhart area of northern Indiana, we invite you to join us in person at 64901 County Road 11, the Brick Church building at the northwest corner of County Road 11 and County Road 38. Our Sunday morning worship begins at 9 a.m. with our Sunday school Classes meeting for fellowship, study, and discussion following the service at 10.30. Wednesday evening classes and activities for all ages are available throughout the year, giving the opportunities for growing and a priority of nurturing the biblical faith for our children, youth, and adults. May God bless you today and this week. Our prayer is that you feel God's love and presence in your life as he walks with you day by day. Thank you for joining us today.
Have a blessed week.